Guess what? What? You're an author. Oh, my God. You're right. You wrote a book. I did write a book. And it's called Stop Blaming Mothers and Ignoring Fathers, How to Transform the Way We Keep Children Safe from Domestic Violence. Right. And it's available on Amazon, Amazon. Kindle. It's softcover. It's hardcover. Yeah. And it's a book that lays out six myths that really dive into these gaps in the field that the safety of the models is meant to fix or transform. Mm-hmm. It talks about gender double standards. It has interviews with practitioners and, and survivors. survivors and practical things you can do. But it really kind of is it's good for anybody who knows the model or is new to the model. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It only took two and a half years to do. Okay. Well, go get the book on Amazon.com. And we're back. And we're back. So this is our... Partnered with the Survivor End of Year Wrap-Up. That's right. And I'm David Mandel, Executive Director of the Safe and Together Institute. And I'm Ruth Stearns Mandel, and I am the Communications and E-Learning Manager. And uh, Tiberius the dog is here. You may hear him in the background. That's true. And this is um, the last show of our season one. This is episode 33. Mm. Though there's a super secret uh, episode with your interview with Charlie Webster that's kind of stuck in that's there as a, numbered. Like a, as a secret menu item there that's non-numbered in there. But 33 episodes. And if you're listening to this show, we want to thank you, first and foremost, for joining us this year mm-hmm. in our first season. And, and spoiler alert, we're doing season two. Oh, yeah. We're going to keep going with this. I think this is a great way to... To flesh out topics and have really diverse conversations. Um, and we know some of the ways that it's being used around the world. Do you want to speak to the professional aspect of it? Some people are using it to do professional development training, you know, getting social work continuing education credits. Mm-hmm. You know, we're hearing people uh, sharing it with their colleagues and their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some of what I've heard. What have you heard? Um, I have, you know, cause my focus is more survivor focused. Um, survivors are using it, um, to inform themselves, particularly about navigating the professional world, um, and, um, in crafting their language of documentation to assist them, um, when they actually do engage systems. Um, a lot of the survivors that I encounter, are survivors that have uh, lost their children through family court, um, who are domestic abuse survivors. Um, and therefore, um, it is confirming of their reality that they have been mistreated by the system and their children are um, continuing to be in danger. And I think it feels very um, encouraging and connective for them to know that there is a network of professionals across the world who are aware that this is a problem and who are working to try to come up with solutions to that problem. So we're being used, being used, we're being used. <laughs> yes. The podcast is being used <laughs> um, by people all over the world, which we're super excited about. And mm-hmm. um, this has been uh, a really difficult year for mm-hmm. many of us. Um, we know people who have been sick. We know people who have, uh, lost, lost people, loved lost loved yeah. ones, and we know people um, who have felt the strain and 
struggle of lockdowns and disconnection from family. Right. Yeah. And here we are, you know, maybe on the, um, here in the U.S. on the edge of one of the most difficult periods. The mm-hmm. expect, expectation is the next few months are going to be super hard. Right. Um, but then after that, there's hope that the vaccines will take hold and, and things will get better. So we're, 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 we're launching this. Or wrapping up this this season, uh, you know, with uh, a lot of reflection on the year. You know, when we started the show, um, we COVID, started the show in January, January of twenty twenty. I think our first episode was January, you know, fifteenth or right around there. We launched it, and right as of now, we have almost thirty thousand downloads. And just to kind of to go over. Um, the reality of where this is going out to, um, you know, if we look at the breakdown, 43% of our listenership is in the Asia Pacific region, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, Australia, right. New Zealand, and the Asia Pacific region, super engaged. And then in North America, 44%. And Europe is kind of sitting, hovering at about 10, 11%. So, you know, we're expanding this conversation about partnering with survivors and focusing on perpetrators as parents and their choices to harm their family. And that is so important for culture change as well. Uh, and I'm super excited about Australia, the Asia Pacific area and, and New Zealand coming online this year. We've got our first partner agency in New Zealand uh, coming online in 2021. So we're hoping partner with survivor gets even more popular mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. But I want to go back to the beginning of the show. You said, you know, January. And for those of you who joined us sort of mid-year, you know, or didn't listen to the first few episodes, um, Ruth came to me, partnered with Survivors, her idea. And uh, she kind of said to me one day, do you want to do a podcast? I'm, um, I'm saying, sure, let's do that. She says, well, I've got a name for it already. <laughs> I have a logo for it already. And I bought the equipment. Oh, yeah. I did and it's like one of the best ways to get me to do something, you know, because I'm super busy. <laughs> and so she said, okay, let's do it. And we actually were away on holiday when we recorded the first one. Mm-hmm. We were in Arizona. We were in Arizona, yeah. And, um, and some of these podcasts have been recorded all over the world. Oh, yes. We've recorded podcasts in a bus in New Zealand. Yes, that's right. Let's think of some fun places we've recorded. It wasn't recorded. a moving bus. It was a, it was a, it was a stationary bus. An Airbnb. Airbnb bus. That's right. We did that. Um, we've uh, recorded on the Great Ocean Road in Australia. Yeah. From one of the places we were staying there. We've recorded at the, at the Asia Pacific Conference also in Australia. Um, and then a lot of the episodes have been recorded in our in our uh, our, our living room, you know, the with the dog sitting between us, Tiberius, yes, yes. occasionally here in the background. And so it was Ruth's idea to start with. It's super exciting, and and you know, it was the outgrowth of us talking, having conversations about my experiences in the field and the safe and together model, and Ruth's experience, yours as a survivor, and mm-hmm. your interactions with professional and family and friends and. Uh, your experiences of abuse and, and you had the idea that we should bring this conversation out into the open. Right. We would talk. We talk. We talk a lot. All the time. All the time. I think we make our kids sick. I think our kids are annoyed with us. Yes. Cause we talk so much but, to each other about things. But we, we truly are like, we bounce. It's like a ping pong ball. You know, we talk about things, we bounce things off of each other. 
we don't necessarily always agree with each other. Your voice is very distinct from my voice. Um, we'll talk about that <laughs> in a minute. Um, and, you know, I think the beautiful thing about understanding that pra- the practice is personal and the personal is practice is that in order for us to really do this well, we have to give people good examples of collaboration between men and women, between professionals and survivors, um, and between systems and the people that they serve, and really in practice and action, because there's all sorts of policy theories and practice theories, policy points, laws that don't necessarily have the outcomes that we want them to have. And landing in the outcomes is the most important thing if we want to move uh, this forward and have more accountability and reduce the trauma and harm to children and to survivors of domestic violence. I think that one of the um, most impactful shows for me of, of actually doing the show was the one where we we talked about how your voice has impacted me. Aww. And it really, it really was. It was, it was one of my favorite shows. I've I always think- wondered what people, what, what people think about that because I really do feel that p- people see partnership and they say, oh, well, that can't be really true. There's got to be deeply hidden things in the background. But I, I, I really loved that episode because, um, it was deeply honest, not just about, the influence, but you know, there's parts in there about the challenges as well. Um, in listening to the voices of survivors and listening to the way that we express our anger. So I loved, I loved that, that episode. I thought it was really, it was really good. I really did too. And I I think it really, um, for me represents, uh, this idea that we do have a partnership. There's a collaboration and I always use the word permeable, Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure that I'm being um, uh, impacted, that I'm not. I think a lot of times this idea for men, particularly as of strength, is that you're that you're strong and you're 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 mm-hmm. tough mm-hmm. and you're um, independent and you're mm-hmm. uh, you influence other people, but you're not influenced in return. Yeah. And, yeah. And And I think that for me. That word permeable, I want that to be true for me personally, but I also want it to be true for the Institute. FYI, being influenced, influencing other people, but not being influenced by them in return is called control. That might be the base of what we're trying uh, to, to, to change. Well, also, I think, it, but I also think it's self-protection. Yeah, I think, it is, I, think, I think it ends up being self-protection, too, for some people. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's um, you know, for me, that episode represents, and I'm actually trying to figure out which episode it is. I feel like I should be able to tell you all. It's really funny, you know, that... Um, so I think it's Survivors Aren't Broken. Uh, episode 18. Yeah, An intimate you. discussion about support and partnership in relationships impacted by trauma histories. Thank you. I was hoping that we'd be able to figure out which episode And that actually came out of a request from, um, from an Aboriginal woman to talk about how to deal with historical trauma in relationships... And not view the responses of survivors as being uh, problematic or that they're broken. Right. Rather than it's it's just relational information that you have to navigate, really. Um, when you decide to say, hey, I want to be with you as a human. Mm-hmm. I know you have a history. And I'm going to honor that history. And, and this is how I'm going to be aware of it and do it. And, 
and I know that we, we rarely bring that level of self-reflection to, to relationship as humans because we kind of do it, you know, in different ways, mm-hmm. but, but, um, you know, that was that, yeah, that was a great episode. That was great. And I think part of what we try to do, and again, this was a lot your idea, which was, uh, as you moved into the domestic violence field and became a professional as our e-learning manager and our communications manager, mm-hmm. you know, you realized there wasn't a lot of disclosure Mm-mm. by professionals in a lot of spaces about their experience of being survivors, their or lived experience. Was, or they were harmed for those. Or they were harmed for it. It wasn't, didn't feel safe to share it. Yeah. And so we really wanted to create a space where there was some breaking down of that personal and professional boundaries and, and sharing. And, and so you came to me and, and, and I think you actually had the idea for the first episode already you know um about coercive control control and consent consent. yes and that is the most listened to episode it's 2423 downloads yeah Yeah, and so if you haven't listened to it i think go back and listen to it you know we're just baby podcasters we're We're teeny tiny baby podcasters forgive the poor sound quality and with no and no intro music oh that's a highlight we'll talk about that in a minute that's Mm. a highlight but um but that um you know, you came with that idea that really is so fundamental and so basic, mm-hmm. you know, that um, that the conversation about consent, that when somebody's engaging in coercive control, they're they're overriding somebody else's consent right. is so basic. Um, but it's not a language that we use oftentimes in uh, talking about relationship to relationship dynamics. It shows up some in the discussion around sexual assault particularly around universities and teaching young right, people. Right, right, right. But I don't think it, you know, it was an exploration of sort of consent as a fundamental form of relationship um, um, agreement. or Equality. Sort of equality. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like I'm, I'm looking around for a word yeah, that's so you basic. Can't have you know, just relational equality without consent. Without consent. Without consent. <laughs> and, and so anyway, so that was, you came to us and that was, that kind of got us off and running. Yeah. And um, no, I mean, there's been so many amazing episodes what would you say is has been the most challenging aspect for you about being so free-flowing in this format because because you are used to creating sense out of out of particular information and then crafting it into a model which is essentially a training model for all of these systems you know these systems that touch on domestic child violence and child well-being and then free flowing, you know, hippie child, cult child comes in here, you know, and says, "Let's do this." Well, free flowing format because to me it felt like it would bring about a lot of ideas, a lot of evolution in the field at a time which was really in crisis with COVID, um, political factors, political pressures, now economic factors. And one of the things that we know is this, that, you know, of course, the outcome is unpredictable when you have those type of pressures, but those pressures do create an opportunity for us to learn and to do better, particularly if we're innovative thinkers. One of the things that I immediately recognized and loved about the Safe and Together model was that it I could see the e- ecosystemic nature of it, which is really how my mind works and how my, my mind was trained. Um, and so I felt like really diving into it without any 
um, boundaries was going to allow us to explore the range of connections in the field between things that most people think are unconnected. Most people don't think that child protection and women's sectors workers impact each other or are connected to each other, but they are. They impact the victim of domestic violence. They impact those children and their disconnect impacts us even more. So being able to have this free-flowing conversation that really explores all of those different links and connections, I felt might lead to some new ideas and some potential innovation. We'll be back after a quick break. Before you listen to this great episode of Partner with Survivor, we'd just like to tell you about a powerful new practice tool the Safe and Together Institute has launched. Our perpetrator pattern mapping tool has been available for 10 years, but now it's available for the first time in a web-based version. What it does is really help you map perpetrators' patterns of behavior onto child family functioning, talk about its intersections with mental health, substance abuse, and other issues, address intersectionalities, worker safety, all in an easy-to-use online package that protects the confidentiality of your information and lets you wrap it all up in a neat little package, basically, to print it out and to kind of document all those different pieces of information. This is a tool that can be used by both survivors and practitioners. And for the very first time, it's available immediately online without any other prior training. The training is embedded in this powerful practice tool so that teams uh, that have not been trained in Safe and Together can immediately begin mapping in an effective way. That's right. It's like having a safe and together coach in your back pocket is what I like to say. There you go. So we really encourage you to go to our virtual academy, academy.safetytotherinstitute.com. Check it out. You know, you can subscribe to it immediately or you can check out a free demo version for 30 days. So please reach out to us and try this new tool. Now enjoy this great episode of Partner with Survivor. What I can say is I loved the creativity of the show this year, and I loved the back and forth. You know, you and I, when we do uh, our conversation, just like today, we we sit down with a couple of thoughts, and then we kind of just go with it. And people yeah. wonder right. how much prep we do for these shows. You know, well, we, we talk. Sometimes we do our research. We do, our re- we but, but a lot of times we, we, know, we know what we want to talk about, and we, we also want to see where it goes. So I love the creativity of the shows that are just you and I. Mm. I love just having this conversation Oh, with I love you. the interviews, though, the diverse voices. And I love the interviews. I yeah. love the diverse voices. Yeah. I love the opportunity to meet people, have a reason to talk to people, an mm-hmm. excuse, like, hey, you're really cool. Can we talk to you? So, you know, we just did an interview with uh, Lee Goodmark, who's an old friend of mine, uh, a law professor who's really written a lot about decriminalizing domestic violence. And, mm-hmm. and then this wonderful group of advocates from a, a refuge network in, in northern Wisconsin, Wisconsin Embrace. Yeah. You know, got just got to hang out with them and meet oh, them. Super and cool people. Super cool people. You and know. I met, I've met some really amazing survivors. So many of the survivors who have been on our show. I met them on social media or as I was searching topics and had, they have become really wonderful relationships and friendships around the globe. And, and it makes, makes me feel like there's more people doing this work. And I think that's the thing that we can't discount during COVID when we're so isolated from each other is that knowing that there are lots of people around the world 
trying to do this work and, and, and work at this problem in, in empathetic, loving, connected ways that wants good outcomes for victims and survivors is really a boon. It's, it's, it's wind underneath my wings. Did you just say that? It is. Wind underneath your wings, really? <laughs> Did you just say Did that? Did you ever know that you're my hero? There you go. I'm going to okay, sing you a song. Oh, my God. It's my love song so, to, okay, our, to of, our people. The swing of songs. Okay. Yes, yes. Another highlight of this year was when we added theme music okay. to the show. I'm not sure how people feel about the theme music, but we did it. You're worried people. So so if everybody's anybody out there likes the theme music, write us on social media. Or if anybody out there doesn't like the theme music. Oh, see, I'm very, being very strength-based. I'm like, <laughs> tell us first about what I mean, you like. I want all the data. <laughs> you know, and so tell us Then I'll break like. it down by data points. That's right. And so we want, we want that. Um, that opinion about the theme music. I love it. And I love that you were super excited that you're like, I was, I felt like a superhero that got a cape or something. That's right. You're like, we, I've got, it was technically theme music for the show, but you, but I walked around with it for three days. I would just play it. I'd be like, okay, I'm coming in a room. Hold on. I have to play my theme music. Right. So you felt like personally it was your theme music. I love that. I love that. So anyway, so, so that theme music was, was, was one of the, 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 the milestones in the, Mm -hmm. In the year. So I'm going to put you on the spot, though, and Mm-mm. ask you to pick amongst your children and which is your favorite show. I don't actually think that I have a favorite show. I go back. That's such a parental response. It is a parental response. I actually go back and I listen to a lot of the podcasts because even though it's you and I talking or it's you and I talking with other people, um, it still teaches me. And there's still points that I feel like I can mine or understand or points where I can learn to, to clarify better, create more understanding with. So I don't know. I, I love listening to the podcast. I have to be honest with you. It's kind of, it's when I have to, when I have to process them and we have to write the show notes and I have to go back and listen to them to write show notes. It's actually a really good exercise for me because it 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 teaches me things. And I'm like, wait a second, how could something that I made actually teach something? But it's it's your professional framework and then the behavioral focus and then the voices of so many other people coming in with their diverse perspectives that just really is super powering my learning. I don't know how it's doing for everybody else, but... Yeah, and I, again, it's an invitation for everybody to, if you haven't told us what you thought of the show, or you haven't taught us, uh, told us what you liked throughout the show. You or know, what fine. you want. Or what you want as topics, you know, you know, send it to us. Or you, some super cool people that you want to hear from. Wanna, you want us to interview that you love, that you think fits with the show, and that is um, uh, a person that you want other people to know about. Yeah, give us ideas, you know, on social media. Yeah. Email us. Um, just let us know because we're always looking for ideas because we're super excited that next year we're having really early in the in the year uh, an interview with Jess Hill. We are, yes, yes. Uh, who's written an amazing book on domestic violence. A lot of you know in Australia particularly. So she's agreed to be interviewed. So yeah. we're, we're super excited about her. And we're just lining up guests for next year. Yeah. Um, so you don't have a favorite is what you're talking about. I, I, I actually really don't. Okay. I have to be honest with you. All right. Do you have a favorite? What's I, your favorite? I, I have highlight ones. I like I like 
I have ones that I feel really, really, really good about. Um, I am obviously super proud of our series about officer involved domestic violence. Yeah. And um, that is going to lead to a summit we're going to do. Right. And so what I love is that, that there are ideas that we can test out. There's things we can think about. And then, um, and then um, we can kind of move it into training or systems change in another way. So mm-hmm. the OIDV stuff is going to be seen in, in, in 2021 in, in the form of a summit, which I'm really excited about. But I do think when you going back to your idea about sort of fertile ideas, I think that the OIDV work particularly really helped you and I think about um, systems mm-hmm. and how systems are manipulated by perpetrators of domestic violence mm-hmm. and and then how those systems do or don't interact around those things. Right. And you came to me and said, hey, could could you put something together on on how uh, perpetrators use systems? Right. And I took that and, you know, and, and just so people know, it's not just the partnership that happens here um, on uh, on the podcast, but it's it's outside of here and it's. I hope we have a good partnership around raising kids and having a family. Yes. Okay. My, my assessment is that we do, okay, but just I don't checking. know what your assessment is. I think we do too. <laughs> this is like a marital <laughs> end of year review too. Yeah. This is, this is so funny. <laughs> and so, but, it, but we went back and forth and we're producing material now that's about what I'm referring to as tier one and tier two systems. Right. And tier one systems, family court, uh, criminal court, including mm-hmm. law enforcement, uh, and child protection are the are the government systems that have formal power over survivors, right. and then the tier two is is highly influential, whether it's mental health or addiction or mm-hmm. other community services right. or faith community. That we're going to be talking more in twenty twenty about twenty twenty one about how perpetrators target each of those systems for manipulation, mm-hmm. and then why those systems are particularly vulnerable. Yes. To manipulation. to that manipulation, you know what yeah. about the way those systems themselves are designed, or the functioning culture, yeah, or the training, right? And so this the, was, yeah. you know, your idea that you pitched to me to kind of flesh out, and I'm it's going to take on a life of its own. I'm really sure of that it is, and I actually think that it lands in the reality that right now, as you know, there's higher stress on systems. Um, that load of stress is going to really highlight their dysfunction. That's just a natural response of any type of machine that's made up of, of parts, really, and those are just human machines. And so I feel that it's super important to speak about the failures of systems and the ecosystem around survivors in speaking about the ecosystem around survivors Right. And highlighting to people how many pressures and and how much gaslighting exists around them. Right. I'm hoping to create some empathy and training for people so that they have better tools to partner with survivors, to call perpetrators on, uh, on their behaviors, right. to name the behaviors right. as abusive, rather than putting all that pressure on a survivor who is in deep, deep trauma and alarm and is highly confused and traumatized and doesn't know these systems to then navigate the failures of those systems. I just don't think that's a reasonable thing to ask any human to do. And I don't think that we're, we're recognizing the in trying to make people personally responsible. We're not recognizing that we're not making society responsible. Right. 
And this is <laughs> and this was the, this year the hashtag uh, fix systems, not survivors. That's right. You know, kind of came up out of one of our conversations. And I an example of this, and then then I'll share one of my favorite shows is. Um, is this idea that if you look at studies about survivors say about calling the police, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at something that said that of of the um, of the in the U.S. This is a small study that out of the the women who called the police, uh, only twenty percent of those women said that calling the police made them safer, right. and and. And so we could look at that by itself, but we also need to look at that in connection with child protection, which often says you need to call the police to demonstrate that you're protective. Mm-hmm. So if survivors aren't having a good experience with law enforcement, and there's lots of reasons that we could we could get into. We could name, we that, could name right? about that. You know, um, that child protection needs to be aware that the very thing they ask women to do that to demonstrate that they're being protective. Women are saying, survivors are saying, that doesn't actually keep me and my kids safer. And it actually may endanger. It may increase danger. And so yeah. you have this compounding of these things. So right. we're gonna, you're going to be hearing more of this from us Definitely. in, in 2021. Definitely. All right. Now, what about tone? What do you mean by tone? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't hide my anger at poor practice that harms victims and survivors and their children. And I am very aware that the outrage and anger of survivors has never actually led to systems change. That there's a lot of women out in the world who have um, screamed to the rooftops that they're being harmed and abused and that sometimes that actually shuts people down from responding to them in concrete ways. Um, But I feel that it is important to normalize anger as a normal and, and understandable response to poor practice, to professional practice that's harming and causing danger, because our job as survivors, and particularly as parents, is to protect our children. And so that anger, which can probably feel very difficult, uh, resistance, fierce, um, has often been pathologized. Survivors have been, you know, diagnosed with operational defiance disorder once they're put in systems that want to control and abuse them. And then, and so I, I'm wondering how the sort of righteous anger of a survivor is coming across to professionals. I think that um, your anger is beautiful and clear and important. I think that professionals need to get thicker skins at times about hearing the critique mm-hmm. and the frustration mm-hmm. of survivors. Mm-hmm. I think that when confronted with survivors' anger, oftentimes we, um, the professional, those of the professional community, can feel powerless, mm-hmm. can feel um, uh, uncomfortable with that powerlessness. Right. And then uh, maybe even shame that we're not able to do more because mm-hmm. we're human and these are complex systems. Mm-hmm. And I think the the well-worn pathway, unfortunately, the culture has offered us is um, blame women, blame survivors, mm-hmm. uh, get angry at them. You know, and and I think or been- I think there's another choice. Actually, yeah. there's another piece I've witnessed in in advocating for um, OIDV survivors. 
And that is, is that even well-meaning people who are generally allies get angry at survivors for doing actions which are reasonable, but which the courts or their managers or a judge will perceive poorly. And so then they put pressure on that survivor to change, to not do that. So, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's not all about the professional. It's about the, the actual limitations of the structures and the practice that's disconnected from the realities of harm and danger to victims and their children. So if you have a certain set of frameworks in, in family court that you're abiding by, and they're completely disconnected from these other pieces, if you don't have the tools to translate that victim's experience into language which shows them as protective, as being in the best interest of the children, and highlights the choices of their perpetrator as a parenting choice, if you don't have the tools or the willingness to do that, you basically are just going to be frustrated because you're going to try to force that survivor into doing actions which you perceive a judge or an authority figure is measuring them by, whether or not that measurement is poor well, or I mean, harmful. What you're saying is that, that, <laughs> that even allies can tamp down survivor's anger or try to tamp it down because they're saying this won't help you. Yes. And and don't make problems and don't make waves. And I think that's normal, you know, for any system of oppression. I think, you know, one of the things that the the, the equity conversation, the anti racism conversation has taught me is sort of politeness is the tool, can be used as the tool of oppression. Oppression. Yeah. Don't speak up. Don't Absolutely. don't don't make a fuss. And I also think we have to acknowledge that But it's more insidious than that. It's more insidious than that. It's the pressure that that professionals feel like they're making f- progress forward, and then a victim does something reasonable. Say, for example, a perpetrator has triangulated um, her children from a different marriage, and doesn't actually have any biological relationship, but has a has a relationship with the other parent of that child who is also an abuser, and then their children are taken away from them. And even though there's no court mandate that that person can't reach out to them or see them, when they reach out to them, they get abused and, and, and harassed. And the, the manipulations begin, which are fairly predictable. And then she gets blamed for it because it's almost people say, well, you shouldn't have reached out. You should have known that would have happened. That's incredibly undercutting of human relationship, love. Um, feelings of desperation by parents to have contact with their children when there is, you know, you understand what I'm saying? It's really twisted. Well, it's all kind of tied together because then a person in that situation gets angry at either what's being done to her or how the system's not supporting her. Mm-hmm. That anger is a normal, healthy response to that. And I think part of it is, is we've been all culturally groomed. And I want to say this because I think it's important to understand it this way because somebody asked me this question once about do domestic violence perpetrators groom their victims the same way. They groom everybody around sexual, them. Sexual abusive. Domestic v- violence perpetrators. perpetrators groom everybody around them. But what I was, yeah. what I, what I was going to say is that, that, that um, survivors are groomed by the culture right. and we're all groomed, not just by the perpetrator, but by the idea that women are emotional and irrational and that men are And to be, and you should be quiet. And, and you should be quiet. And right. this idea that, 
that so that so I think going back to your tone, I think um, you've got a different voice than I do, mm-hmm. and I really value that. You have a bit different voice than I do, and I really value that. Right, too. good, and that's a partnership. It pretty much is <laughs> partnership. Um, and I think it's it's really, you know, I, I will be honestly not everything that you say I would say, or I'd say it the same way. I think right. we're we're in tremendous agreement around values and around purpose and yeah. mission. Um, but that I think sometimes you'll take a different, uh, different tact. And I will say occasionally I'll have to take a breath. Mm-hmm. And I think this is useful for people to hear, which is sort of, and go, we're separate people. Right. And Ruth's, uh, voice and perspective, your voice and perspective will resonate with different people in different ways. Right. And, and that's the breath I take. And, and this that's is, the I make, but see, this it's is not my, it's the, not my voice. It's yours. But this is what we all have to do. In order to have this big conversation between systems, we all have to take a breath and we all have to know that we each have different perspectives, but those perspectives have to land in the preponderance of outcomes being good for victims and survivors of of violence, domestic violence, interpersonal violence, child abuse, sexual violence, you know, all of that. Um, And so... What I love about our conversations, and and I, I'm aware that people are much more used to very curated experiences where a lot of this personal content has been stripped away from it and this interaction has been stripped away from it and they get a final product, which is a model or a tool or a direction. I feel that the process is really important to highlight because the process is the solution that we're trying to bring forward. And that is men and women in partnership where men and women can allow each other their voices and their expertise and their positions and their, and their perspectives. And then we can work together to find something that fits and works for everybody. I mean, it's kind of kindergarten stuff if you think about it, but it's not well replicated and most people never see that process. And I wanted people to see the process. Right. I wanted them to see that different voices, different perspectives come together and that each of us kind of have to breathe in different places and know that it's a collaboration. It's a partnership. So I like the tone. And I mm-hmm. think it's good. <laughs> and and I hope that the combination of our voices has been good for our listeners and and we're we're looking forward to carrying this into into um into next year into 2021 and you know like i said some highlights to look forward to is jess hill an interview with her mm-hmm. um we're going to be doing some segments on inside the safe and together institute we will be where we're going to be bringing on um safe institute staff or faculty or certified trainers mm-hmm. or partner agencies and highlighting their work and their experience. So we're doing that next year. And then we're having a podcast takeover. We are. I was just going to say that. Go ahead. Do you want to describe it? No, you it? describe it. So we're working with a, a, an equity consultant who's really doing some coaching with me. And we'll be doing some work with our staff around equity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we decided to do is that she's going to come on the podcast and interview me. Mm-hmm around equity issues and mm-hmm. and you know and and we'll have a dialogue back and forth and that's still in the planning stages yes. but we're really committed to that um we're hoping and- we record some podcasts not in our living room or 
office, but somewhere out in the world where we travel to in 2021. We would really like that to happen. We would. And mm-hmm. I'm very aware that we're really lucky. We are. And um, um, really wishing that everybody out there listening is has had the best year possible mm-hmm. that they could have. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that you found some comfort and some solace wherever you can find it, and you've yeah. been surrounded by people who love you and you love in return, no matter what the circumstances you're dealing with are. Mm-hmm. And um, we really are wishing people a, a safe and happy, healthy holiday season. Yeah. At least I am. I am too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think that'll be a wrap-up. You know, we we um, we want you to be listening to this show and sharing it on all the different platforms and, and let other people know and, and please mm. write in with your ideas and thoughts and feedback particularly on the theme music i really want to hear from people <laughs> on the theme music and um and um as always there's a discount code partnered all lowercase for the academy.safeandtogetherinstitute.com and you know i'd like to to point out that you know in the next coming months we will be uh working on redoing our our website um, and hopefully we'll have a little bit more cohesion there. But there's a lot of free videos and a lot of free material for learning on that website that you could really drill down into um, and and tons of videos of training, of keynotes. So I'm just going to encourage people to drill down into the Safe and Together website and take advantage of that free stuff. Self-assessment guide. Self-assessment guide. Our ally guide. Ally guide. Choose to change uh, guide. Resources for children. Papers on gender, the gender paradox in the center of the Safer Together model and about yeah. worker safety. And, yeah. you know, there's just, we're really on, committed. On men's to, behavior change, right. certificates of completion, being dangerous. Right. So tons of stuff. So if you haven't checked out that site, please go and do it. Yeah. And, um, and I think this is it. This is a wrap for 2020, guys. And we're out. And we're out 2020.